0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I am Patrick, and I'm Tony, and, uh, we're in the midst of our book, uh, Apologetics, a justification of Christian belief by John Frame. And we've proven God, we've proven the gospel. Now we have to once again, tackle the problem of evil. And so if you remember, uh, from, uh, our, one of our books, uh, previously last year, uh, we covered Scott Christiansen's, uh, what about evil? was a great, uh, run through. And so if you listen to that, uh, this is going to be a good refresher, uh, frame kind of tackles it a little similar of what, uh, what Christensen did, by presenting, um, uh, all the different kind of theories out there for the theodicy, which is the problem of evil and, uh, where Christensen, uh, kind of gave, um, an amalgamation of greater good theodicy and the best of all possible worlds on page six and seven, uh, we'd have to wait until the next chapter to get where Frame is at for uh, right. what he's gonna posit uh, for his. So this chapter, right. chapter seven, is gonna be kind of all the different uh, theories of the theodicy and uh, and uh, Frame taking issue with some of them. And so uh, that's, what, uh, that's what we tackle here. So he starts out with the introduction here by saying Having considered apologetics as proof. We know we now turn to the second function of apologetics. And that is of defense. So we talked about uh, apologetics being both uh, applicable for an offensive uh, giving answers, but also to defend, uh, to provide answers for the reasons why. And, uh, he says here in defense as in proof scripture supplies, the fundamental stra- standards and criteria that apologists must employ. We go back to the Bible. Why? Because it's the foundational. Uh, doctrines that uh, we hold to that form our worldview that we answer from is the highest uh, possible authority, and from there we say uh, the creator of the universe speaks uh, to us through uh, that medium, and so uh, we're going to want to give biblical answers for uh, the the alleged problems uh, that uh, people ask questions about. So we are not, however, restricted to scripture for the data of our arguments. So that's the the distinction between sola scriptura and solo scriptura, we're not soloist, we're solaist. Uh so all facts have apologetic significance because all facts are created and ordered by God. So we're able to uh apply science, we're able to apply logic, we're able to apply morality. Why? Because we derive justification from God's word, and so we're able to um uh go to those things that, that are discoverable that are discovered. Um, the scientific age, uh, was done so because Christians looked at the world and said, I want to know how, how, God did this or how God has ordered this. And so, uh, uh, we, we think that we've just turned it over to secularists and you know, uh, it's replaced God, but, uh, ultimately it was started by, uh, Christians who said, I want to know how God did this. And so. Um, we, we don't have to shy away from, uh, the things uh, of, of this world, uh, and, and clutch our Bibles only, uh, although, uh, that's the the foundational and the good place to start, but, uh, scripture supplies, the presuppositions for every uh, phase of Christian apologetics.
1: Yeah. And so his first section here, he, um, entitles, is there a problem of evil and is there an answer? in this chapter, he tells us that we will consider what is perhaps the most serious and cogent objection that unbelievers have brought against Christian theism, problem of evil. And he gives us a typical formulation of it as, uh, and he lays it out here with premises and a conclusion.
0: Right. All right, so he gives us the, the kind of breakdown here. He says, premise one, if God were all powerful, then he would be able to prevent evil premise. Two, if God were all good, he would desire to prevent evil premise three. So if God were both all powerful and all good, there would be no evil premise. Four is, but there is evil. Oh no. What do we do? We have to conclude therefore that there is no all powerful, all good God. And this is a standard reply. that's uh, been going on for hundreds of years now. And, uh, uh, like all things that we should learn about from church history is there have been answers that have been given to this. Uh, but, uh, uh, people are failing to learn to uh, look back more than five minutes in, in history and, <laughs> and, and discover these things, but yeah. that's, what, that's what we're here for. That's what, uh, uh, Revived thoughts podcast is, is helping with. And hopefully, uh, we can take a, a cue from, from them as well.
1: Right. And, and he calls this kind of layout here with premises and conclusions. You know, God is all powerful and He could prevent it, and He's all good and He He should, uh, you know, not desire it. Uh, but since there is evil, then perhaps this kind of God doesn't exist. He calls this layout the uh, uh, the philosopher's way of looking at the problem. He says the essence of it is a concern to non-philosophers, though as well. You know, those who he says, who which one of us have not cried out why, Lord, when beset by tragedies in our experience, right? So it's more than just a ph- philosophical uh, perspective. Every Christian, in fact, he says, uh, has at least wondered about this particular issue. And, and many uh, have experienced periods of doubt. Uh, as a result of, uh, this issue of evil. So this is a serious problem. And he wants us to understand the seriousness of it I'd say he, it's probably the major objection, uh, to Christianity.
0: Right. Right. And it's something we see even in scripture as well. So, uh, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, so- something that's devoid in, in our literature as well. All right so he goes on to say that uh, in Alvin uh, Plantica's In God Freedom and Evil the book that uh, Plantica wrote here uh it makes a useful distinction between a defense and a theodicy in fact one of our our most visited uh, uh videos uh, that we covered when uh we did what about evil is uh, just that as well as the difference between a uh, defense and theodicy, uh, but here uh, he he quotes Plinica as saying the the later, which is the theodicy, has the goal of justifying God's ways to men, of demonstrating the goodness of all His actions. But the former, that is uh, a defense, is that it merely seeks to show that the problem of evil does not disprove the God of the Bible. So those are the kind of the two distinctions there between what a theodicy does and what a, a defense does.
1: Mm-hmm. Another uh, distinction that he says we should initially make is between natural and moral evil. So the former here includes anything that brings suffering and unpleasantness or difficulty into the lives of creatures, right? That's natural evil. So uh, earthquakes and floods and diseases and uh, injuries and death are examples of natural evil. Moral evil, though, is the sin of rational creatures angels and men. Um, And according to scripture, moral evil comes first. It came before natural evil. Satan's temptations and the disobedience of Adam and Eve led to God's curse on the earth, right? So there's this distinction here between natural and moral evil. Moral evil um, came first, and that led to a curse on the earth, which then uh, provides for natural evil.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's different than what we see, uh, from kind of Greek mythology with Pandora opening the box, uh, uh, uh again, women taking the blame once again for evil entering the world there. Uh, but th- throughout, uh, their, uh, writings, it's just, here's an explanation for why there is evil in the world, but there's no culmination of, of, of that. There's no reason for it other than just here, here it is, uh, the, you know, the, 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 box held it and now, the box doesn't hold it. But, um, here, uh, in scripture, God is, is, is gonna do away with it. There's, there's, there's a concluding chapter to the reason for this section. And the problem of evil is also flies. So, um, so here, uh, God will remove the curse only on the final day, the uh, the consummation of Jesus's redemption. Scripture therefore gives us an explicit answer to the problem of natural evil. That is, natural evil is a curse brought on, uh, on the world because of the moral evil. Right. So Adam sins, and the the curse spreads out from uh, his actions, from 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 his the the repercussions of of his action. Uh, the world is upended in, in the entire universe and we see, uh, thorns and thistles and destruction and, uh, death and, uh, uh, animals eating each other. And all those things that come about, it functions as punishment to the wicked and as a means of discipline for those who are righteous by God's grace. So the unanswered question is the problem of moral evil. How can sin exist in a theistic universe? And he says that he'll focus on the moral evil for the rest of this chapter and the next. So he kind of gives himself an out, but also where Christensen had a 350 page book to (laughs) cover everything, um, um, we're, we're given a frame two chapters. So,
1: right. Yeah. So, um, so we have an answer then he's, he's just here to the issue of natural evil, it's it's a result of moral evil and, and the curse that came from God. So we can put that one aside is what he suggests here and just focus and concentrate now on moral. And uh, before he gets into the real, you know, dig into it with regard to this chapter, he wants us to be aware of Jay Adams's book, The Grand Demonstration. Mm -hmm. And he says that in many ways, um, it's it's a fine biblical study of the problem of moral evil. And his answer, that is J. Adams's answer, is Romans 9, 17. And it says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And so the idea here is that God raises up evil people, right? That's the source of moral evil there, evil people. And by implication, then all evil. So that by prevailing over them, he can display his power and his name throughout the earth. Mm -hmm. So God raises up these uh, evil people and then he defeats them and he shows his power, his majesty, his glory throughout all the earth. And so that's kind of Jay Adams's take on why uh, God allows evil. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, We see this uh, numerous times in the old Testament. Um, Armies are raised up to, um, uh, to punish the, the, um, uh, I- Israelites who, uh, set up, uh, Asherah poles and worship Baal, uh, next to, uh, Yahweh. And so God says, if you continue to do this, I'm going to raise up an army and lo and behold, uh, you know, Babylon rises to power and falls <laughs> and Assyria rises to power and falls. And, uh, God uses these as both a way to, um, to, to punish uh, the the Israelites to take them out of the land the, the land of promise but then brings them back uh, for a period of time until they rebel again and then he, he goes through it again but then he also uh, punishes those um, th- those armies that he he says that he raises up uh, uh, to, for the the for the reasons of attacking uh, his people so uh, we see both uh, God using evil as a tool but also then punishing the the tool that he raises up as well yeah pr-
1: probably the one of the most uh obvious look at this is in the book of Habakkuk where Habakkuk the prophet is upset because God isn't dealing with the evil in Israel and so God says okay fine now raise up the babylonians to deal with the evil and then of course abaca says well how in the world can you use those folks there <laughs> you know they're so evil and god right. says well hey i'm gonna judge them for what they do so mm-hmm. we have this kind you know that's probably one of the uh you know the most obvious places where that is played out you know, right especially in the old testament
0: so Fr- frame gives uh adams the credit here and says that uh adam's answer is a good one certainly But it does not remove all the mystery from evil. It does not completely answer the question uh, we have uh, posed here Uh, for the question then arises, why should the display of God's power and good name require require here the employment of that, which is totally opposed to everything that God is. Cannot God display his powers without contradicting his goodness.
1: Yeah. And uh, that's that's pretty much what what Rebecca asked right <laughs> in, in that
0: particular
1: uh, book. And so um, a frame here tells us that the book is is, is a help, but it's not the answer.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the so-called problem of evil will remain a problem to many sensitive readers of Adams's book. His own verdict, then, is that we are unlikely to find complete answers to all these questions, answers, that is, that are not subject to further questions. But he does think that we can provide answers in another sense. He says that if what we want is encouragement to go on believing in the midst of suffering, Scripture provides uh, that uh, encouragement and provides it abundantly, and that... uh, Uh, you know, and that's what he seeks to provide in the following portions of this particular chapter that kind of encourage you.
0: Right. So then he moves on to uh, wanting to focus on the Bible weird that a, a Christian philosopher would (laughs) want to do this, but, uh, here we go. So he says in this chapter, he's going to be focusing on what the Bible teaches concerning the problem of evil, following J Adams, very good example. Where should we turn to the Bible? Why? Because that's where we say that uh, comes all the, 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 uh, that's the proper Sola, uh, Sola scriptura. We, we go there for all the pertinent information as it applies to our faith. Uh, it's, it's the, the sole place that we can turn to. And it's there that we want to find the justification for this very important worldview question. So his book is itself rather unusual in this respect. Uh, he's applying that to, um, how most books uh, on the problem of evil deal with kind of the logical or the experimental matters without much focus on the Bible, uh, which, uh, seems again, odd, but it seems to be, uh, the, the, the area that we want to, I think, uh, talk down to unbelievers on as we, we again say, oh, let's, let's, let's have this uh, shared common basis of, of science or of logic. And so, Uh, you find most, uh, people writing on the theodicy, wanting to, to, to talk on that level because, uh, they believe in a a kind of the shared neutral ground that we have, um, with everybody in the world. So we all experience evil. So, uh, let's agree on, on where we can find agreements. And so that's what he's saying. Uh, we can't do because as a presuppositionalist, uh, he doesn't, um, believe that we have that type of neutral common ground. And so he says, as he's indicated earlier, he does not object to using extra biblical data in dealing with the issue, but he does believe that that in this case, the Bible itself brings us uh, close to an answer as we are likely to get. Again, yeah. uh, it, it, the, this is a, a, a outpouring of God's revelation uh, to us, to, to humanity, to his people, to the remnant, to his church. And so uh, we're going to want to seek the answer diligently um, w- within Scripture. And so uh, let's figure out what Scripture says about these things and see if we can find the answer. And so,
1: you know, people don't use the Bible. They use these various philosophical approaches. Um, perhaps out of conviction, he says that the Bible cannot help very much. The, the other reason, he says, why people often uh, object to dealing with the problem of evil from the Scripture is that simply they don't believe Scripture is God's word. The process, you know, process theologians and thinkers say that if we deny God supreme power and total sovereignty, then we can solve the problem of evil. Evil exists because God is not fully able to prevent it. So there it is, right? There's the uh, answer if you don't believe the Bible and what it teaches. He says such uh, revisions of scriptural teaching always lose more than they gain. And perhaps we can solve the problem of evil simply by denying God's sovereignty. He's not in control, and so therefore that's why we have evil. He says this non-sovereign approach to God or this non-sovereign God really is just an idol, and it's it's an idol of uh, conventional wisdom and not the absolute personality of Christianity. So he wants to dig into the Bible to show what it has to say about evil, and he doesn't want to... Take, you know, this process theologians easy way out by denying the character of God that's portrayed in the Bible in an attempt to uh, solve the problem of evil. Because if God can't deal with evil, if he's not sovereign, if he's not powerful enough, then we have no guarantee that evil will ever be dealt with. And now we're in a worse uh, situation than we found ourselves at first.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, We see this with uh, a kind of... uh philosopher, Christian philosophers with inerrancy. It's one thing to not believe in inerrancy, but it's another thing to just say, well, um, it's really hard for me to, to, uh, want to focus everything that I could possibly say. So I'm just going to give over inerrancy and say, uh, listen, I don't even want to discuss it. Let's say that I don't believe it. And we'll, we'll just go from there because, uh, it's such an easy target for for, uh, the other side to attack on is okay. You have to say that, uh, this book is a hundred percent perfect and everything it says, so I'm going to ask you about, uh, names of places and, and, uh, uh, um, you know, mixed fibers and eating pork and shellfish and all those things. Uh, uh so that it's really hard and I don't want to do that. So I'll just give it over and, and have this be kind of, uh, uh an easy out for me. So, um, it's one thing not to believe in inerrancy, but to just give it over for the sake of convention, uh, is seems to be, um, kind of a, uh, uh, it tends to lie about what, what you actually, believe. <laughs> all right. So what does the Bible not say? Well, the first thing we can learn from scripture is what it does not say. It is instructive uh, to see that many of the devices used by philosophers to solve the problem of evil are just not in scripture. They're just mm. not there. And so, that's kind of
1: a really interesting and important <laughs> point. Right? <laughs> right? So we want to know what God, uh, you know, how to deal with the problem of evil. And so let's come up with philosophical answers and never look at the Bible, or at least don't pay that much close attention to them.
0: Right. Right. A- again, if you, if you want to argue <clears throat> deistically, uh, for this, uh, uh, God who doesn't reveal himself, who, who kind of, uh, uh, has all of Anselm's qualities but but none of the the qualifications then then that's one thing and so you you can explain evil in just kind of a, a haphazard way of like well you know if uh this type of god exists then maybe this is the answer but it, you're you're treading on a, lo- a lot of ground for uh the the biblical christian god um and so obviously here frame wants to say uh let's turn to scripture so Common defenses against the problem may be divided into three general types. The first focuses on the nature of evil and the second on the ways in which evil uh, contributes to the overall good of the universe. And third on God's agency with regard to evil. So, uh, kind of three different ways that people kind of approach it, um, depending on, uh, kind of what their focus is. And so, um, he's going to kind of break them down into those categories as well.
1: Good. So the, the first one, then, is the nature of evil. And the idea here is the unrealitivity unreality of, uh, of, of evil defense. That's what he calls this, right? So evil isn't real. And he says some uh, Eastern religions and Western cults, like Buddhism and Christian science and so forth, maintain that evil is really an illusion, right. and it doesn't exist. Uh, He says, even some respected Christian thinkers, such as Augustine, have suggested that evil be classified under the category of non-being. So Augustine does not quite, he tells us, mean to say that evil is an illusion, but rather that it is a privation, a lack of good being where good being ought to be. So it's a privation, it's a lack. Uh, Still uh frame tells us that augustine does use this idea to remove the responsibility from god god creates all being but he is not responsible for non-being says augustine and therefore you know god then is not responsible for evil which is a privation or non-being
0: right so this is the uh you 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 hold up a white sheet of paper you cut out a circle in the middle and you say that evil exists in the empty space. So it's a, it's a lack of good rather than uh, a, a thing that exists. So the, the the whole itself doesn't exist in the sense that the surrounding paper does. It's the lack of having no paper there. So. All right, so these uh, explanations are quite inadequate. There is no reason for us to think that evil is an illusion. Further, saying that it is, is plays games with words. For if evil is an illusion, it is a terribly troublesome illusion, an illusion that brings misery, pain, suffering, and death. So for something that doesn't exist, it has a lot of impact over all of human history, all of humanity, uh, all all the things that we understand, uh, things breaking down, uh, just death in and of itself. Uh, so, uh, this type of illusion seems to be, um, a really, really powerful illusion. So if it's said that the pain is also illusionary, I reply that there is no difference between illusionary pain and real pain so far as the problem of evil is concerned. The problem just backs up a step and how could a good God give us all such a terrible illusion of pain? Which is pretty (laughs) interesting way of taking it. Uh, So one great advantage of scripture's viewpoint is that it doesn't play games with suffering people. In scripture, evil is treated quite simply as something that we must deal with Whatever its metaphysical status is, Job, uh, uh, Moses, uh, the, the the miracles performed by Jesus on suffering people, uh, that th- there are there are um, uh, uh, healings that occurred just just f- for the sake of of God demonstrating His power. But then there is also healings that are demonstrative that come with this was done for God's glory. And so it's like, whoa, hold on. So this person was born blind. Uh, so that, uh, God can demonstrate his power that, that seems to be, uh, more than just this illusionary, um, n- non-being thing that exists in the world or doesn't right. exist in the world. Right. So,
1: you know, with regard to illusion, then, you know, he asked the question as you, as you framed it there, what's the difference then between illusory pain and real pain, right? right. <laughs> seems all the same when you're going through it. Right. And so, you know, uh. And then we can ask the same question with regard to illusionary pain as we do with real pain. Right? Right. How could a good God give us all such a terrible illusion of pain? Right. And so, yeah, this is kind of an interesting point. It really it sidesteps the issue and it really doesn't answer the question for us. Right. right. Um his next uh section here, he deals with what he calls the contribution of evil. And so in this section, he's going to go through various attempts to deal with the problem of evil by suggesting or various suggestions on how it um, contributes to what God is attempting to do. So he calls this the contribution. And of course, the very first one that he deals with here is the best possible world (laughs) defense. And of course, if you've done any study in this area, you're kind of familiar with this idea of the best possible world, the philosopher. Um, Leibniz and others have argued, he tells us that this world, for all of its evils, is nonetheless the best world that God could have produced, right? So this is the best possible world. The reason is not that, you know, God is weak, as in, you know, an upcoming defense that he's going to talk to us about, but rather the very logic of creation, Uh, Certain evils are logically necessary, according to this perspective, to achieve certain good ends. For example, there must be suffering if there's to be compassion for suffering. And so this allows them for suffering to come out uh, or a compassion to come out with regard to suffering. So this is the best possible world. It's kind of a logical approach that uh, Leibniz and others have suggested as a a solution to
0: the problem of evil, right? But scripture does teach that God observes the laws of logic, not because there are laws above him, which he must, uh, conform to, right? We don't, we don't want that because then we ask, well, who's making God conform to, to those laws and why are those laws seem to be, uh, uh, transcendent of even God, who we would say is transcendent above all things. Like that, and right. where they come from? Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're not we're not Mormons. We we, we you know he's not uh, <laughs> born on Kolob and 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 has to learn God Godship, uh, but uh, but from everlasting to everlasting he is God. So uh, that that seems to be uh, something that we we don't want it to uh, attribute to him, uh, but because he is by nature a logical person, but does a perfect world logically require right? require it, is it, is it necessary for the existence of evil? God himself is perfect, but there's no evil in him. So it seems to be, here's a case of, of perfection, the the best possible God to exist, having no evil. According to scripture, the original creation contained no evil. So even at the very beginning, it wasn't necessary. So was it imperfect for that reason? Well, no, God looks upon all his creation and calls it good and very good. So he doesn't say, well, except for that little corner, you know, the, the Mufasa, uh, showing, uh, Simba, uh, you know, the pride lands. And uh, except for that shadowy, uh, uh, foresty area out there that that's where evil exists. No, God says it's all good. He's created it and it's all very good. Well, uh, the consummate new heavens, new earth, that is the ultimate perfection of the created order will also be without evil. So does that mean then? That no longer is the best possible world. So we have an issue at the beginning and we have an issue at the end. If evil is kind of this necessary, uh, uh, entity, uh, to exist for it to be the best possible world. And as for the early examples, suffering may be necessary for, uh, exhibition of compassion, but it is not necessary for the, of compassion in a person.
1: Notice how he deals with this here. He he says that, you know, uh, do we really need to have evil in order to have a, a, a perfect world or a perfect anything, right? God is perfect, and, of course, there's no evil in him. The original creation was good, right, and it contained no evil, right? And in the end, at the end of all things, um, there'll be no evil there. So we can have perfection without Having evil to exist is the point that he's trying to make with regard to this, uh, you know, position on the best possible world needs to have evil position. Right? Right. He, right. He's not buying that. Right? Right. So, so it tells us the bottom line here is that, uh, you know, he doesn't know whether this world taken as a complete historical sequence is the best possible world. In fact, as far as he knows, he tells us that God is free to make things that are either imperfect or perfect, right? God can make anything he wants. And so he doesn't believe that we can solve the problem of evil by saying that we know a priori, right, based on reason alone that this is the best possible world and that all the evils are logically necessary for its perfection. Right.
0: Um, We did have Scott Christensen uh, use, uh, a form of this though, and, and, and make his argument for it. Uh, but, uh, uh again, he, he modified it and, and critiqued, uh, uh, Leibniz in similar fashion as well. So, uh, this is something that, uh, again, may sound like a carryover, um, from, from our book before, but, uh, um, uh, obviously, um, uh, frame is gonna add his own, uh, f- flavor to it as well. All right. So I think, uh, f- here we'll, we'll pause and kind of, uh, split the chapter, he- uh, here and, and kind of cover, uh, the, 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 rest of the, um, possible defenses for the theodicy, uh, next time. And, uh, then, uh, when we come back after that episode, uh, then we're, we'll, we'll, we'll see if, um, frame holds up, uh, to, uh, giving mm-hmm. us an answer if he's just gonna say, well, it's all a mystery. Well, he devotes a whole chapter to it. So probably 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 going to get a few more words out of them than than just mystery. So (laughs) Um, so uh, hopefully this is helpful. Again, uh, you can check out uh, uh, kind of snippets of this episode um, in the coming uh, week uh, and check those out. Um, I I, I've heard from people that they find that helpful. Uh, The responses you can kind of focus uh, on discussion points. Um, on those you can share those out uh, a lot easier uh, you can find those either on youtube uh, odyssey or a rumble or you can head over to kate of the Cross.com and find all those short clips as well as the full episodes and book reviews and any uh, podcast guests that uh, we happen to be on and so you can check us out uh, there as well so uh, we'll just say thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time see you next time